0: You're tracking a blue chip art collection. So why are you using cheap art collection database software? Artbase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. Totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and most importantly, easy to use on computers, iPads, and iPhones. Artbase comes with plenty of training and support to get you going and keep you efficient. Unlike most collection management systems, With ArtBase, only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit ArtBase.com today to find out more. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Judd Tolley, editor-at-large of Art & Auction Magazine, to recap Art Basel with us. You can read all of Judd's articles in Art & Auction Magazine, as well as on JuddTolley.net. Judd, thanks so much for speaking with us.
1: Yeah, good to hear you, Adam.
0: Overall, there seemed to be a lot of positive reaction to this year's edition of Art Basel, Many, some even calling it the best ever. Uh, why was it received so well from those you spoke with at the fair this year?
1: I believe everyone that I spoke with, or practically everyone I spoke with, and that I guess would be primarily art dealers, were somewhat overwhelmed by the number of transactions they were able to um, Uh, accomplish in a very short time and the question as to why is a pretty good one I believe um, the main sort of impetus if there's one way to put it is just the amount of wealth that's floating around and Art Basel especially in Basel Switzerland when you enter those halls Kind of a bubble, and you just go around, and there aren't distractions as you might find, say, in Art Basel Miami Beach, where you're probably thinking about the beach. Um, and just at this moment in time, perhaps, that you know, people are feeling flush and there's a big hunger, and I believe the audience is really expanding. For instance, um, Several dealers told me that there weren't that many Americans that were in Basel, but there were a lot of Asians that I observed. I don't know from what countries, but you'd see quite a few, uh, uh, you know, well-heeled looking people wandering around with their own advisors. And I think that uh, has definitely helped the market, not just at Art Basel, but, you know, worldwide in the auction rooms, etc. And I think this time, for whatever reason, uh, dealers were trying—I mean, they always say that, but dealers were trying to really save uh, excellent material to bring to Basel, because that's been a complaint of, with so many art fairs proliferating and, you know, just about every country there's an art fair or more— there's a kind of staleness that one sees the same works sort of being recycled that don't sell at one fair, they're bumped to another. So I, I think that also helped. Um, but I, I mean, I, you know, quoted him, but in the, um, Ivan worth of Hauser and worth said that he'd been doing this fair for almost 20 years and he was sort of not flabbergasted, but you know, Completely amazed at how well and how much the gallery was selling. So I don't know if you want to attribute that to the economy, to the insecurity of everything else, and people want to have art uh, not in a bank vault per se, hopefully, but you know, on their living room wall to make them feel better after reading all the awful headlines. Uh, you know, but yeah I mean it it, it but it, it was obvious to me in terms of you just seeing the transactions going on and on and on, and not just the first. I think they had like two or three days of so called v i p uh, tranches before they opened to the general public
0: yeah it's, it's interesting uh after all the major auctions, we can assess kind of where the market is for a fair like our Basel you you described it as a bubble in a way, so the reporting that you do and others with all the sales, is that, should we we be looking at that at Art Basel to gauge, you know, if the market's shifted at all since the auctions, or is it, in your view, is it too hard to tell if anything's different from when it was in May?
1: Well, I mean, the one thing that you can say is the, um, you know, again, because there isn't that kind of transparency that you would have, at an auction, at a public auction, where you could see the results afterwards and you would know, you know, the Sigmar Polka sold for X or didn't sell or went over the estimate. And you don't have that kind of information at Basel because it's, you know, controlled by the dealers or their public relations agents which proliferate. But the one thing that is, I always get a big kick out of at these fairs and especially at Basel, you just see every top auction specialist you know, going up and down the halls, checking prices, you know, whether they're trying to poach clients, I don't know, but it's, you know, it it is the, uh, you know, Petri dish for where the market really stands. And, um, and that was especially evident uh, to me and other people that, I mean, there's always, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat is obviously going to be in every art fair, every, dealer that can get their hands on one. And because of what happened in the auction room in New York in May, um, with this wild $110.5 million price for 1982 work, probably everyone in the world that owns a Basquiat is, um, you know, thinks theirs is like worth whatever, you know, exponentially more than it was before that sale. And uh, that was pretty interesting to observe. And I know you were interested in in hearing about the um, the Basquiat's on view. And Yeah, know, so, yeah. It's, yeah. It's,
0: it's interesting because, and I think, and, and I wanted to ask even if it goes beyond Basquiat where this is happening just after the May sales. So Basquiat is the perfect example, a record price. So now, you know, we see all these Basquiat's at Basel. Um, yeah, I'm curious to learn a bit more as to how many were on display and if we saw extraordinary prices or price adjustments because of that and maybe that trend extends beyond Basquiat or any of these artists who do really well in May especially even emerging younger ones um, now we see them at Basel as a result
1: you know Basquiat I suppose um, I mean not to diminish him in any way is sort of you know, the poster child of the current global market. I mean, I think he's some an artist in, in, almost uniquely that, you know, <clears throat> draws intense interest from across collecting categories uh, because he does actually look, his work looks quite good, you know, in the same room or wall as a Picasso painting. Um, and the big difference, though, I would say, and I saw oh, I don't know, perhaps between a half dozen and perhaps 10 Basquiat's at the fair, and, you know, with quite a pretty big range and quality. And, I mean, the big difference to me is that, uh, just as a quick example, um, <clears throat> Levy Gorvie, uh, the New York, London, gallery um, that now has the partnership of Brett Gorvie, the former top rainmaker at Christie's. Um, and they had a, a, a first-rate uh, Basquiat on their stand um, and from 1982, the same year as the, uh, the one that the untitled work that sold in, in New York uh, at Sotheby's. Um, this one, uh, baby boom, uh, is a major work and they had a 30, they were, had an asking price according to the gallery of $32 million. And, um, the only thing I was really, I, I'm not sure, I don't believe they sold it during the, uh, you know, five days or whatever at Basel, but it's interesting to note that it last appeared at auction. In May 2001, at Phillips de Puri in Luxembourg, that's what it was called back in those days, and it sold for uh, just over $1 million against a seven hundred to $900,000 pre-sale estimate. So, you know, right there you get, you know, wow, that's impressive in terms of a jump. Um, the New York Chicago Gallery, Richard Gray, had another Basquiat, um, I believe it was from 1984. And uh, yeah, um, that was uh, an untitled work with the parentheses Solanumum, which, I don't know, Basquiat was you know, into Egyptology and all sorts of arcane things of information um, and wherever that title comes from. But uh, that was a large-scale work. And um, the gallery sold that somewhere in the region of $14 million. So right there, you're seeing uh, a pretty big you know, price range um, for a, a work of art. Now, sort of in between or right around there, um, Aquavella galleries. And this was also interesting to me. Because I wouldn't instantly think of Basquiat showing up at Aquavella, where you would be, you know, just as easily seen um, works by Paul Cezanne or Lucian Freud, um, and you know, they sort of cover the waterfront. But they had uh, quite an interesting work. Um, uh, it wasn't that large scale. It was sixty by sixty inches. Um, Uh, a work from 1982 titled um, three delegates and they sold that work um, on the first day, I believe. And, um, and that was in that same sort of, uh, I think the asking price was around 14 million. I couldn't swear to it, but I think that's correct. Um, So those were, you know, A trio of examples and it's um this whole thing about pricing is very interesting because uh you know once one thing sells for x uh another work even though it's by basquiat or it's by polka or warhol or even you know a younger artist like the la artist henry taylor who was uh uh Represented at Basel at uh, Blum and Poe, uh, and Taylor as m- most people might know is sort of a star of the recent Whitney Biennial with a ver- with a large scale work. He's African American. Uh, his work is very punchy, figurative, uh, really accessible, and um, very strong and. Um, again, that's, uh, a way for someone like that, you know, to sort of shine in these sort of, uh, <clears throat> displays. Um, and he's a living artist as opposed to Basquiat who died at, you know, age 28 in, um, uh, when was it? 1988 or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a melting pot of, uh, prices and, you know, everyone is comparing everything. I mean, several dealers told me, well, yeah, someone was in, they're very interested in this piece, but they're going to go around, they're doing their homework, uh, you know, or I'm taking, you know, multiple reserves on something, you know, it's like people aren't just pulling the trigger instantly. They're really, they want to know where their art advisor wants to know what else is available comparatively and a, in an, uh, a place like Basel is sort of the perfect arena for that type of comparison shopping, as it were.
0: You had another really interesting quote in your, uh, or actually you wrote this in your in one of your articles. Most of the blue chip action was confined to the ground floor of the fair, while more primary market material was on offer upstairs. The difference in pricing in transactions between the two floors is growing, according to some observers, a reflection of the art market in general. I was just curious if you could elaborate on this growing divide, because I thought that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, and, and in fact, and, and, and the dealer who was talking about that was quite concerned, because I mean, for people who haven't, you know, visited the fair, I mean, traditionally, <clears throat> Art Basel in Basel, it's a It's on two levels. And traditionally the ground floor was dedicated to modern art. And the upstairs, the second floor was, or hall two or whatever, however they refer to it, was devoted to contemporary art, you know, living artists, etc. But over the years, and I'm talking the last say five years or so, because of the really lack of availability of, you know, modern works the, you know, that are sought after. And dealers like Beiler, one of the, the, the founder of the Basel Art Fair, who passed away a couple of years ago, there's less of that material. So the organizers of Basel have been s- sort of rearranging, tweaking and bringing some contemporary galleries downstairs to the ground floor. And leaving, you know, the less blue chip uh, contemporary galleries on the upstairs part. You know, like sort of in that old upstairs, downstairs uh, PBS program. Um, Anyway, uh, but reversed. Um, Anyway, um, so one result of that is that collectors seemingly are spending more time and money on the ground floor than they are by the time they get upstairs to look at the more contemporary galleries. And I'm not saying that these are second-class galleries upstairs, but there's a perception that, you know, the action, the great stuff is downstairs, which I think is, you know, is distorted. But at least according to this dealer, although he was selling, I mean, to my mind, quite a bit of work, uh, he felt that there was less going on as a result of that. And it was disturbing to him, and um, you know, there's so many choices. Um, you and in an affair like this, when you're you know putting so many resources on the line, you want to have, you know, you want your audience. And I think there's, you know, I think that's, you know, I think that's an issue that might, you know, continue to you know, nag at the way Art Basel is presented and um, dealers are, you know, now jockeying for positions to try to get if they're upstairs, downstairs. It's, you know, it's ultra-competitive, obviously.
0: Lastly, what were some of the most interesting or or notable sa- sales from the fair this year that you reported on?
1: Well, I, I was really interested. Uh, a couple of uh, artists that I... Until recently, hadn't been aware of, uh, for instance, right now, <clears throat> an exhibition at the New Museum of this uh, Italian artist named Carol Rama, um, and she was, um, I don't know, and so, well, Fergus McCaffrey was showing quite a bit of her work in other galleries, Alison Jacques in London, um, and she's sort of to me like, I mean uh sort of like your equivalent like the feminist egon sheila of uh of uh, you know european art amazing uh intense figurative works it's a lot of it some of it on works on paper but very strong very uh visible uh so and and, and not a huge uh price points uh under you know five hundred thousand dollars largely. Um, there was a fantastic uh, via Clem uh, Selman's uh, work at uh, Matthew Marks uh, that was a found like a leather case with this uh, great sort of beautiful line drawings very faint called Blackboard Tableau from uh, it was a fairly recent work small work and uh, that sold almost instantly to a private collector for around um, a million dollars. I mean, I mentioned Henry Taylor before and one of my favorite works, and maybe this is, you know, maybe more politically correct or not, but, um, and it was titled, um, uh, Sicily and Miles Visit the Obamas from 2017, a large-scale work, 84 by 72 inches, that uh Taylor painted the likeness of Cicely Tyson and Miles Davis which is right there that's a kind of unusual uh pairing uh standing and you know very dressed up and in the background was the White House and they're black and the White House is obviously white and I just thought it was uh fantastic and that work sold and he's uh as his dealer uh, Tim Blum of Blum and Poe said um, you know all the forces are meeting in the middle in terms of his market right now in terms of Henry Taylor's market
0: Well, Judd, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your some of your reporting and perspective on uh, our Basel this year and if our listeners want to read more of your articles, which I highly recommend they do. They can always check them out in Art and Auction magazine as well as on judtully.net. And uh, you're more and more uh, tweeting and uh, posting pictures on Instagram about the art world and art market. If our listeners want to follow you there, um, what are your usernames?
1: Oh, dear. Um, uh, basically, judtully... Um, now you're talking about social media, and I'm getting really nervous because I don't, I'm not, you know, uh, that uh, great at it or at Judd Tully. So um, maybe we need to revisit this at another time.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I enjoy uh, following you on Twitter and Instagram and getting uh, getting my news from you that way. So I enjoy it. I think our listeners will as well. Anyways, Judd, we always appreciate having you on. Thanks again. Thanks, Adam. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast was brought to you by Artbase. You're tracking a blue-chip art collection, so why are you using cheap art collection database software? Artbase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. Totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and easy to use on computers, iPads, and iPhones. Unlike most collection management systems, with Artbase, only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit artbase.com today to find out more.